Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading is Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Hear the word of God. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is a familiar story. The disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee and a storm catches them by surprise. Sudden storms on the Sea of Galilee are actually pretty common. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level with mountains to the east and then gentle slopes to the west. And so as cold air moves down from the mountains, warm air rises off the lake, and that makes for some pretty serious storms. We know this one must have been especially serious because several of the disciples were experienced fishermen. This wasn't their first nautical rodeo, but they are terrified and crying for their lives. Remember in scripture and in ancient literature in general, seas and storms are powerful symbols that represent chaos and unpredictability and disorder. One writer puts it like this, the sea symbolized for the Jewish people the dark power of evil, threatening to destroy God's good creation, God's people, and God's purposes. So think of Genesis chapter one. God creates out of the formless void of the dark pre-creation watery chaos. In Genesis 9, God brings destruction on the earth through water and the flood. In Exodus, God leads his people out of slavery in Egypt through the sea. In Psalm 69, we read, The waters are up to my neck. I've come into deep waters which flood over me. It's why at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it says, after God redeems all things, there will no longer be any sea. It's not that God hates swimming. It's a poetic metaphor suggesting that all that threatens to harm God's people represented in the sea will one day be taken away. So for non-seafaring people like the Jews, the sea represented all that was dark, unpredictable, destructive, out of their control. This makes sense. I mean, what do you do when you're in the ocean and suddenly you feel something scrape or or slip by your leg? (laughs) You panic, right? Like it freaks you out a little bit. On land, you can see what's coming. You retain some control. You can prepare, but not on the sea. You never know what's, what's out there. You never know what's lurking beneath the waves. It makes you feel vulnerable, out of control. And you see, this is the human situation. We are not on the land where everything is firm, where the horizon is clear and everything is predictable. We're on the sea where everything is unpredictable, where we're not in control. You don't know what's beneath the waves. So 
The disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. Big storm, huge waves, the boat is filling with water. It's not hard to understand why they're starting to freak out. Jesus, however, is not freaking out. What's he doing? Sleeping. It's so interesting. The experienced fishermen are freaking out. The son of the carpenter, ironically, is fast asleep. It gets even more interesting when the disciples wake him up. Look at how he responds. He sees the storm and he wants it to stop. And so what does he do? Well, what would you do? Probably pray, right? Ask God for help. Ask God to do something. Jesus doesn't do that. He bypasses all the usual methods of the time by which one might attempt to change and control the weather. There's, there are no incantations. There's no calling on a higher power, no sacred ritual. What Jesus does is he simply speaks. Two words, which basically mean be still and stay still. It's a rebuke of this storm. It's how we might talk to a dog that's been misbehaving. Jesus says this to a hurricane. The winds are raging. Water is pouring in over the edge of the boat. The disciples are preparing for certain death. And Jesus simply says to the storm, be still, stay still. And the storm obeyed. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. If you've ever spent much time around large bodies of water after a storm, you know that this is not natural. Normally, even when the winds die down, and the storm moves on, the waves continue to pound the shore for hours. But not this time. When Jesus rebukes this storm, immediately the wind stops and the sea becomes completely calm. Well, the disciples were afraid when the storm was raging, but now Jesus has stopped the storm and now they're very afraid. They're terrified. They ask, who is this? And that's a really good question, isn't it? If there's one thing that all ancient cultures agreed on, it was that the sea was uncontrollable to any power except God. Have you ever heard the story of King Canute? It's an apocryphal legend that comes to us from the 12th century. Uh, the king, uh, his people were fawning all over him and he wanted to show them that he was merely a mortal. And so he had them set his throne on the seashore. And from there, he commanded the waves to halt and the tide to stop. Instead, of course, the waves just washed up over his feet and soaked his robes. And so then King Canute said, Let all men know how empty and worthless is the power of kings, for there is none worthy of the name but he whom heaven, earth, and the sea obey. See, only God can stop the sea. The Bible says this over and over again in different ways. Genesis Chapter one, God pulls back the sea and brings order, creates ground. In Exodus, remember, God opens the sea and brings his people through it. In Psalm 107, we read that the Lord stilled the storm to a whisper. Only God can stop the sea. Only, God, only the king of heaven can still the storm. And here is Jesus speaking a word to a hurricane. He doesn't pray. He doesn't ask for God's help. He doesn't ask for power from heaven. He just speaks directly to the storm. He does what only God can do. He doesn't have to call on a higher power because he is the higher power. 
the truth is beginning to dawn on these disciples that the Lord of the universe is right there in the boat with them. Here is one more powerful than a hurricane. And so family, this story forces us to make a decision about Jesus and about his identity. Who is this? You see, either Jesus is God, in which case I owe him my whole life, or he isn't, in which case I really don't owe him anything. But that decision about who Jesus is confronts each one of us. In one of her short stories, Flannery O'Connor has a character say this, Jesus threw everything off balance. If he did what the Bible claims he did, then there's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't, then there's nothing for you to do but enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can. I think that's basically right. That's the choice before each one of us when it comes to Jesus, to live for him or to live for something else, ourselves. And so which is it? You know, a common um, move today is to avoid the choice by saying that Mark's gospel is just a made-up story by people a long time ago. It's just a legend, just a myth. The trouble with that is that this doesn't read like an ancient legend at all. It has far too many details in it that do nothing to advance the plot. That's not how ancient legends work. Uh, if you include details, they always advance the plot in one way or another. But but look at this story. Um, for example, Mark tells us the time of day. He notes that the disciples took Jesus with them just as he was, which probably means that they took him out of the boat that he was in at, at, in the beginning of chapter 4 and into a different boat. Mark tells us that there were other boats around, just pointing out that detail. He doesn't simply mention that this... Uh, the storm, but also that the boat was filling with water. He doesn't just tell us that Jesus was asleep, but that he was asleep in the stern, and not just asleep in the stern, but asleep in the stern on a pillow. See, all the commentaries point out that these little details have the marks of eyewitness testimony. Like, there's good reason to think this actually happened. We have to make a decision about Jesus. At least we have to ask ourselves the same question, who is this? Who is Jesus? Even the wind and the waves obey him. But here's the thing. Most of us have made a decision about Jesus. Most of us have decided that he really is the Lord. But still, we often find it difficult to trust him. We aren't confident that his plan for our lives is really good. We're not confident that he's really going to take care of us. The trouble is that even after you become a Christian, the storms of life keep coming. And where's God? He often seems distant or absent or maybe asleep. Let's look again at the story. The boat is quickly taking on water. It's nearly swamped. The disciples can't bail the water out quickly enough, and so they go to find Jesus, and they find him sleeping in the stern. So they wake Jesus up, and they basically say, Jesus, here we are perishing, and you don't even care. They say, just when we need you the most, you're asleep. Don't you care if we drown? Now, that seems like a fair question, right? I mean, here they are on the middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of a terrible storm. Their boat is sinking, and Jesus is sleeping. So they're exasperated. Jesus, we thought that you loved us. 
So why are you letting us go through this? If you really cared about us, why is this happening? Why is it storming and why are you sleeping? Fair questions. But look at how Jesus responds. He kind of rebukes the disciples. He doesn't say, oh, those were really good questions. He says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Now, this is challenging. See, Jesus is suggesting that the disciples' panic and fear, as natural as it might be, reflects a deep lack of faith. It's like he's saying, if you really trusted God and if you really trusted me, you wouldn't be freaking out right now. If you really trusted me, you wouldn't respond with fear and anxiety and worry and panic when life gets stormy. See, Jesus is showing us that whenever we're faced with adversity and difficulty and suffering in life, we're faced with this basic choice. We can give ourselves over to fear and be filled with anxiety and worry and panic, or we can have faith. We can trust God. We can find our security in his sovereignty and goodness. which is easier said than done. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, God calls us to trust his sovereignty and goodness precisely at the points where his sovereignty and goodness seem most questionable, right in the middle of the storms, right in the middle of the chaos and confusion. That's when Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Why don't you trust me? When you face adversity in life, where does your heart go? When you're in the storm, where does your heart go? Often, the first move my heart makes is to say, God must be displeased with me, or God must not really love me, or God must not really be good, or God must not exist at all. But the story shows us that God does allow his children to go through storms. He does allow his people to face all kinds of adversity and difficulty. The disciples are afraid that Jesus doesn't care. If he cared, then surely this storm wouldn't be happening to them. But Jesus says, no, your whole premise is off. I do allow people I love to go through storms. Well, where does that leave us then? We have this decision to make about Jesus, to trust him or not. And, and, and how can we trust him? How can we trust him, especially since trusting him doesn't mean we get to avoid the storms that life brings? Okay, Jesus is in the boat with us, but is that enough? Well, one of the things that Mark does in this passage that's really beautiful is that he uses language intended to recall the story of Jonah. He's wanting to show us that Jesus' love and care for us goes way beyond just being with us in the storm. Do you remember the Jonah story? God told Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, but Jonah doesn't do that. He runs away from God and he gets into a boat and he tries to sail away with some other sailors. And then God sends a horrible storm. Just like in the story we read, the waves are pounding on the boat and water's coming over the sides and all of the sailors are terrified. And do you remember what Jonah was doing? He was sleeping. And the captain of the ship said, Jonah, how can you sleep at a time like this? We're dying. We're perishing. Get up and call on your God and maybe he will save us. 
And do you remember how the story ends? Jonah tells the sailors that if they throw him into the sea, then the storm will stop. And so the sailors, they pick Jonah up and they throw him into the sea and the storm stops and the waves become calm. And so think about all the similarities here. Both Jesus and Jonah are in a boat out on the sea and they're both in a boat during a storm and they're both sleeping when the other people in the boat find them. The sailors and the disciples are all terrified and they even use the same words like we're dying, we're perishing. And in both stories, they say to Jonah and to Jesus, help, do something. And then finally, in both stories, there's a miracle and the storm stops. It's like the only major difference between these two stories is this. When Jesus stops the storm, he simply speaks the words, be still and stay still. But with Jonah, it's different. Jonah says to the other sailors, the only way for you to survive is for me to face death. The only way for you to make it through this storm is for me to go right into it. Throw me overboard. Family, if you want to see the depth of God's presence for you, if you want to see how much Jesus loves you, see him being the true Jonah, the better Jonah. You know, here in chapter 4, All he has to do is speak a word for the storm to stop. But there's another storm in Mark's gospel, and we won't get to it until the very end. And it's a much bigger storm, a much more deadly storm. I mean, it's it's the storm that can really destroy us. What about that storm? Sin, death, evil itself. See, the only way for Jesus to end this ultimate storm is to go right into it, to be thrown overboard, to let the waves take him under. And we see this happening at the end of Jesus' life. And God wasn't sleeping during that storm. He was fully alive to the awful reality of what was happening to him. And he didn't abandon us there. On the cross, Jesus was thrown into the ultimate sea of sin and death so that we could travel safely through it. On the cross, Jesus faced the most destructive and horrible storm imaginable so that we could be saved from it. God does allow us to go through storms, but at the cross, we see him weathering the worst storm for us in our place. And this is his great love for us. I wonder what storms you're facing. maybe relational storms, health storms, mental health storms, maybe storms about your circumstances with finances and and living situations. What storms are you facing? Family, don't be afraid. Put your trust in Jesus. As big as the storm may be, he is greater still. Believe the gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.